0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word in season and out of season. We pray that as you listen, you'll be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Uh, Over the last four years, a defining Feature and characteristic of Cross and Crown is our love for the Bible. Uh, So that means when we open our Bibles and we hear it read, we are hearing God speak. So just like we have over the last four years, and so we will continue over the next, uh, please open your Bibles and we will be in Ephesians 3, verses 1 to 21. For this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. You have heard, haven't you, about the administration of God's grace that he gave to me for you. The mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have briefly written above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. This was not made known to people in other generations, as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. The Gentiles are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners in the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I was made a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace that was given to me by the working of his power. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, To proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are your glory. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen.
1: Father, we are thankful for your word. Uh, we give you thanks that uh, it is clear, that it is open, that it cuts us to our heart. And we pray this morning as we do remember and celebrate these four years at Cross and Crown and all that you have done. And as we look to the next 20 and 30 years as to what you might do, that once more we might be reminded of what you've done for us in Christ, what it looks like to be your people, and of the heart that you have for Melbourne and beyond. Amen. Now, here's uh, what I'd like you to do. I, I don't know if you've seen those pictures of the, the new Hubble telescope. It's called the James Webb telescope. Have you seen that? New unbelievable pictures, just mind-blowing, the infrared images they're, they're taking of galaxies far, far away, uh, and showing us. Every time I look at these pictures, I'm reminded of how incredibly insignificant I am in the scheme of the world. And it reminds me of how how unbelievably huge God is. That he could create all that. And I'm only seeing a glimpse of it. Now, here's the question. 10 seconds for you to think. Then 20 seconds for you to talk to the person next to you. Uh, Whether you're here today and you're a Christian or not a Christian, doesn't matter. I'm going to give you the question. You can reflect on this. Here's the question. Uh, When you look at creation, when you look at the world... What do you look at and think God is unbelievable? Well, if you're not a Christian, let me rephrase it slightly for you. What do you look at in creation and think there must be something more? What is it you look at? I'm not going to ask you to share that. You've just got 10 seconds to think. And I'm going to tell you to share it with the person next to you. All right, there's an Australian 10 seconds. You've got... uh, (laughs) 20 seconds to talk to the person next to you. Just share it with them. Don't explain it. Just share it very quickly. Okay, all right. I know that's not long enough. You can you can pick that conversation up a little bit later. That's absolutely fine. Now, I'm going to go on a limb here. I'm going to get. Go I'm not going to ask you. I'm going to go on a limb, and I'm going to say. Uh, There's something which probably didn't get shared amongst this room, something that probably didn't come up, probably wouldn't even feature in the top five if you would have more time and listen, that if you look at creation, look at the world, look at our society, the thing we generally would not point to to say, God is unbelievable, look at what he is doing, he is so amazing and awesome is the church. Now, I could be wrong. It could be some of you are much more godly and thoughtful than I am. But that generally wouldn't feature in my top five. It's a fair comment. My gut feeling tells me, particularly from what's shared in the media and the things that have happened over the last 30, 40 years that have emerged, that that is not people's first reaction generally to think about the church as the moment of God's wisdom and glory in society. You don't get to Monday morning and speak to your colleagues at work and they say, how was the weekend? You say, well, Saturday was a bit dull. Let me tell you about Sunday. I saw the creator of all things gather his people in a new community around his word. It was mind-blowingly good. And then I went back and watched The Bachelor. But that was my How was your weekend? That's not what we say, is it? If anything, church just gets a glossing over. Just a glossing over. Am I wrong? I don't think we think about church in those categories. But you read Ephesians 3 and you realize Paul does think in those categories. That's exactly how Paul thinks. You see it particularly in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 here. This is so, if you're following along, please do in Ephesians 3. Chapter 3, verse 10, this is so that God's multifaceted, manifold wisdom may now be known through the church, the rules and authorities. and He sees something cosmically significant about the church. The church is God's cosmic declaration to the world. People in the rules and authorities that we can't see and the world at large. Now, why? Why does he think that? Well, let me just rule quickly two things out. One, it's not because the church in Paul's day was anything glorious. Paul's writing about 62 AD. He's, he's under house arrest in Rome. This is the time of Nero. So a few years later, about 64, 65 AD, Nero was going to start persecuting Christians systematically. The church across Rome, the Roman Empire was fledging. It was persecuted. Uh, they owned no buildings. They had no influence. They were nobody. So it wasn't as if the church as an institution was glorious. It wasn't as if either that the church at this stage was perfect. All you need to do is read 1 Corinthians and you will feel better about whatever church you are in at the moment. Let me tell you. So it wasn't the institution was glorious. It wasn't that the church was perfect. What was it? Because Paul knows all these things. He's at the centre of it. Yet he still says, Romans, Ephesians 3 chapter 10, that this is the multifaceted manifold wisdom of God. That is what I want us to grapple with this morning. What's happening here at and Crown and at other churches that are meeting? Why is he so convinced about this? What is he seeing that we're missing? Now, let me tell you a story to paint the picture as we, we start to unpack a little bit of Ephesians 3, but really zeroing in 3, chapter, 10, chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, uh, about a year ago now, I think... It wasn't in lockdown, but it was sometime around then. Um, my son, I've got three sons, my younger son was playing uh, in the garage. I put a, up a dartboard for him on the wall and it hasn't fallen down since. That's got nothing to do with the story. I just want you to know that I can do things like that. Um, he was playing darts. He threw a dart. My wife has an office. She runs a business there just next door uh, to the garage. He was throwing. Next thing she hears, and I hear from upstairs, an explosion from downstairs. She comes running in, I come running down, all we see in the garage is what looks like CSI Mitchelton, Mitchelton is where I live, it's this blood splatter, what's on the garage floor. He'd thrown a dart, it had fallen down, it had hit a spray can, and the spray can had exploded across, and it looked like a blood splatter. First of all, we need to ensure everyone was okay, no problem, everyone is okay, secondly, We need to work out what do we do with all the spray cans. So we grab towels and we start wiping the floor. You know what that did? It just made it look worse. We are trying to cover up the crime. Now we have a red floor. All over. It did absolutely nothing. So now what we have in our garage is a permanent blood splatter so that every time a a client for Jacqueline walks through the garage, they get just a little bit nervous um, about what happened there. We had no hope. No hope of cleaning that up. Now look. You follow the storyline of the history, you follow the storyline of the Bible. What you see way back in Genesis 1 and 2, an idyllic picture of what creation should be like. People in harmony with each other, in harmony with God. Adam and Eve there, God walking amongst them, perfect. Then you get to Genesis 3. I'm sure you've all, you've all read this or you know it, but you know here, Genesis 3, the dart pierces the spray can. All hell breaks loose. Everything starts to unravel. People are no longer connected to their creator. People are broken in their relationship with one another. It only takes a chapter or two for murder to happen. Society starts to crumble. And society keeps thinking, and we keep thinking, we can just clean it up. We just need more towers. We just need to wipe harder. And all that happens is the mess just keeps spreading. That's what happens. And so while we might, at this stage in history, have become resigned to the fact that, well, this is just what life is like, we just have to learn to live with it, Paul's perspective on the world is very, very different to that, very different. He sees this thing that we call the church as the tangible evidence of God undoing the brokenness in creation, the tangible evidence. Paul looks at the church and what he sees is people being reconciled back to God in the Lord Jesus through his death and resurrection and being brought together and reconciled with one another. Jew and Gentile he talks about here. This is the beginning of the renewal of creation. Back to what it should be. Not its final state yet. But it's the beginning. Look at at Ephesians 3 with me. See, Paul has been given this task, he says. He is in prison in verse 1 because he has been preaching to the Gentiles about the forgiveness of sins, that they can be the people of God. The reason he's under house arrest in Rome is because he's been proclaiming this thing. The thing he calls a mystery, you have a look at verses 4 and 5. By reading this, you are able to understand the, my insight into the mystery of Christ. This mystery that has been waiting since creation's, the fall of creation, to be revealed. How will God fix that mess? How will he put the pieces back together? How will he wipe that mess off the floor? How do we get back to the point where people in community are not turning on one another? Where we do not feel broken constantly. The pain and the hurt that we've experienced doesn't keep coming back to haunt us. How will he unite us back to him? How will he unite us back to each other? How will he restore the world? That's the mystery. Now, jump back with me a little bit if you've got a Bible. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7-10. to 10. Here's what Paul says. Because he mentions the mystery back here. He says in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out in us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together under Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth. So Paul says there, he said, God redeems, he buys us back with his very blood here. He he wipes away our sin, this undeserved gift, a wayward world of his very own Son, he pours out on us. And he, he makes known to us what the mystery of his will is. That is, he will bring us back to himself in Jesus. And he will bring us back to each other in the process. Paul's whole message, in fact, the reason he's in jail in verse one is because he is telling people this salvation is not just for the Jews, it's for everyone who would place their trust in Jesus. The church of God, the people of God, are no longer one people, all one race, all one culture. It is anyone who puts their faith in Jesus. You are not born into this family, you are adopted into it. And anyone can be adopted into it. Now, that may not seem like a huge shift, that anyone can be adopted into God's family, because we're 2,000 years on from when Paul writes this. But in Paul's day, that was outrageous, particularly as he was a Jew. He was one of the chosen people of God in the Old Testament. And he's saying anyone can be one of God's people. Now, it's outrageous. It's scandalous. Let me me step into dangerous territory for a moment. It's as if King Charles, you know King Charles, you might have heard of him... Um, King Charles, it's as if he said to us this, look, there's some room in my royal family at the moment. I don't know if you know, but there's some things been going on in the royal family. I know you're all watching Harry and Meghan. I know you're watching the documentary. So if King Charles said there's some room in the royal family at the moment. But what I'm going to do, if any of you would like to become a royal, just come on over, talk to me, and we'll start splitting up the wealth. That's all you need to just come over, talk to me. You can have a castle. You might get a pony. I don't know. I don't know what rich people do. But, you know, that's the kind. Here's the offer. You cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that that is not an outrageous offer. And you cannot tell me that people would not be flying, booking their tickets over the other side. for just a little bit of that wealth, even if it comes with a side of paparazzi, I'm okay with that. Now, I want to live in the English countryside. I want a corgi. All the good things. It's an outrageous offer. It would never happen. It's so outrageous that we know it's ridiculous. But in Paul's mind here, what he is talking about, the offer to the Gentiles and Jews to become part of God's family is even more outrageous. It is even more profound. Through no effort of our own, we can be reconciled to God. Adopted into his family, all the privileges of being his children. That is what Paul refers to in verse 8 when he talks about the incalculable riches, immeasurable riches of grace in Christ. That's what he's talking about. It's overwhelming. That's the reason Paul sees the church differently than we do, because it is the gathering of people who are reconciled to God through this outrageous grace around the one who reconciles them, that is Jesus. That's what Paul sees when he looks at the church. The church that we are so often so blasé about these days, it sits, Paul would say, at the very centre of God's eternal purposes for us in Jesus. You see what he said in verse 11 there? This is according to God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ. You you flick back to Ephesians chapter 1, and you start to see this is no accident. God has chosen people to reconcile himself before the beginning of time. He always planned to bring everything under Christ. It is his eternal purpose. Paul is amazed at the love and the grace that God pours out in the redeeming work of the Lord Jesus, and he knows it's not an accident. So when he sees the church in the flesh, what he sees is God beginning the work that he promised to clean up the mess. That's what he sees. He sees the church in all its multifaceted, all its manifold beauty. Now, two things, two things. First, when we talk about the church, we are not talking about an institution. Paul has no concept at all of denominations, none whatsoever. I'm not saying those things are unimportant, I'm just saying they're not central. Those things exist for the local church. The hope for, for Glen Waverley and the hope for Surrey Hills, the hope for Box Hill and the hope even for Ringwood, as I hear it, is not FIEC, which is not Reach Australia, it's not Reach Australia, it's not the Anglican Church, it's not the Uniting Church, it's no other denomination. It is you. The hope for those places is Cross and Crown and any other church of God in this area. Denominations, and institutions, they're going to come and go. But what we see here is, is this microcosm of where God is ultimately taken. What we see in you in your relationships is the beginning of what is what God is going to do into eternity. This is the hope for this area and beyond. I'm not overstating the case. In fact, if anything, I'm understating it from what Paul is saying here. Here's the second thing. No one is pretending, least of all Paul, that church is perfect. No, no. Church is messy. It's full of broken people that kind of funny but accurate, not that funny, but accurate aphorism they say, if you find a perfect church, don't go to it, you're going to ruin it? That is true. There is no perfect church to start with. Churches are not perfect. They're full of messy people. It is a fundamental truth of church that we are broken and need forgiveness. So it should not surprise us when there is brokenness here because we're not perfect. God's work in the church has only just begun. It's not a finished work. It is a gathering of broken people who have been redeemed, who are reconciled to God, who are being changed from the inside out, but it is slow, deep, hard, painful work. But God is absolutely committed to seeing it done. Absolutely committed. The the manifold, the, the multifaceted, Wisdom of God here is seen not in the, the deification of some sort of institutional denomination, nor is it seen in the in the false face to others, the pretense that we are a perfect community. No, no. It's seen in the reflection and the refraction of what God has done for us in the people he is bringing together as they live out what it looks like to be redeemed. You'll have all. I'm sure this is true in Victoria. I come from Queensland, where this stuff happens all the time. I'm sure you'll have held a large diamond in your hand before. Um, you haven't? No. Um, we used to use it as currency up in Queensland. Um, <laughs> you know, when you—I'll just tell you about it then. Um, when you hold a diamond like this, you know, the light refracts and reflects, uh, reflects within there. So whatever goes in, it, it kind of comes out, which makes it look so beautiful, doesn't it? It's amazing to kind of hold up to a light or an image and see what happens within there. Multifaceted beauty. Not from itself though, is it? It's what's coming in that creates the beauty. That's what Paul is saying in chapter 3 verse 10. In the local church, God's wisdom and manifold and multifaceted wisdom is seen not in the people itself but in the thing that happens when God's goodness and grace is poured out in them. And they live that out. When that grace and glory and wisdom is refracted and reflected within there. Not their own glory, but God's. There's a footy club just down the road uh, from us and my boys play it. Um, and last year, a couple of years ago, we had big floods in Queensland, not far from me. The footy club had spent over a million dollars putting in a turf pitch, um, like an astroturf pitch um, over there. And... Uh, Amazing achievement. They got to the end of it. Everyone's high-fiving each other. Everyone's proud of the achievement. It was really good pitch. It was excellent. The floods came, gone. They used it for two months. $1 million worth of AstroTurf, gone. Now, it's interesting to think through uh, what it looks like, the difference between the community there and the community in the church. They weren't sitting around after they did this one million pitch thinking, look at what God has done. Look at what God did in building this AstroTurf pitch. No, no, there's backslapping, not unduly, but they were proud of their achievements. Now, that is not the local church, not so within the church. The church reflects the manifold wisdom and glory of God. You pick it up, you look at it from various angles, you, you, you see the flaws, but you see people who are deeply committed they loving one another, even when it costs dearly. People willing to forgive, even when it hurts. People who have been reconciled, who are reconciling, even when it's painful. People who are generous with what they have. People who have a heart for the lost. And all of this, not because it is a gathering of good people. No, no. It is a diamond that reflects the goodness and glory of God. That's what the local church is. All right, let me finish up with two quick things. Two quick things here. For you on your fourth birthday, here it is. First one is this. Community is really hard, really hard, but it is not optional. Church is really hard, but gathering as God's people is not optional. It's hard to live together in community. People are annoying. People are broken. People make mistakes. I'm not talking about you, obviously. Other people. Other people are like that. That's what it looks like to engage with people. But you are not saved. You are not reconciled to God. You are not moved out of darkness into light to express your individuality and reject community. You are not saved into individuality, you are saved into community. And you just need to keep reading in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, or go to 1 Corinthians 12 or Romans 12 and you can see God doesn't bring you in just for self-fulfillment but to grow you amongst the other people that he is transforming as well into the likeness of Jesus. That's what he does. You do not mature by sitting on a mountaintop and avoiding people. You will not grow by that. The more I interact with people, the more limits of my brokenness I push up against. The more of my sinfulness I see emerge. The more opportunity I have to grow in my understanding of how unbelievably gracious God was in saving me. when I, mean, I didn't know half the things that were wrong with me. You don't microwave maturity. You don't do it by hiving off. It takes time and it takes others. That's the first thing. This community is not optional. God is pulling you in here for a reason. He's calling you to engage. Here's the second thing, finally. I say, do not, as a community, hide the light that you have been given. Hide the light that has been poured out and refracted and reflected in here. There is a growing hostility to the gospel out there. There's no doubt about that. You know, we're not being persecuted, as other countries are persecuted at the moment, but there is a growing hostility. It's getting harder. Uh, it would be really easy just to kind of take the light that we have here and just stick a bowl over it and just have our own community here, closed court, just us, keep the world out. Just enjoy the light we have, hide it from the world, which is growing hostile. Alternatively, you know, here's another option. We can just remove the bowl and we can just maybe adjust the light that's coming in and that we talk about so we don't have hard conversations with people. We don't say the things that God says to us, to the world around us, in case it might offend them and the hostility grows. So we cannot do either. We cannot do either. We were not saved by a watered down gospel. God gets to define the terms of salvation and not. The Creator gets to define what it looks like to be part of the creation. Just as you needed to hear the gospel unadulterated in all its confronting glory, so did the five million other people in Melbourne and beyond. Just as you and I need to see and experience what the gospel looks like in these communities... We call the church, so do the five million people who live in Melbourne. It's not just us. God's wisdom should not be hidden. The gospel must never be adjusted, lest it has to be robbed of usefulness for you and for anyone else who is searching and seeking for their Creator. You cannot hide, we cannot shrink back. I'm going to finish by praying these words that Paul finishes with at the end of Ephesians 3. Because his heart is that we would have the same perspective on the gospel and the church that he has. The same clarity about what his God is doing in you as an individual and as a church for the good of you and Cross and Crown and this city. So would you join with me as I pray? Lord Paul also reads, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. He says, For this reason we kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And our prayer is that he may grant us, according to the riches of his glory, that we are strengthened with power in our inner being through his Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, being rooted, firmly established in love, that we may be able to comprehend with all the saints, with all the Christians, what the length and breadth and width and height and depth of God's love is, and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge, so that we may be filled with the fullness of God. And so now, to Him he was able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the Church and in Christ Jesus in all generations, forever and ever. Amen.